Well, friends, for a short time this afternoon, if we could turn back to the chapter that we read together, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. We're going to consider together the first 20 verses, what is traditionally known as the parable of the sower and the seed, but perhaps more accurately could be called the parable of the soils, the parable of the soils. As we come around the word of God today, friends, the wonderful thing about God's word, the Bible, is that it's very much like a mirror. And it's very much like a mirror because in God's word, what we see is a picture of ourselves, a reflection of the reality of the human heart. Sometimes we like what we see. Oftentimes, perhaps, not so much. And as we come around this parable today, friends, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to treat this as a mirror. And what I'd like you to do is to personally, as we go through this parable together, is to look for your own reflection in it. And to honestly ask and answer the question, where am I here. Where in these words of Jesus can I find ourselves? We're going to, to treat, if you like, this parable almost as a, a diagnostic tool for our soul. Now, in terms of the context, what we see here is Jesus, as he's done many times before, he, he's teaching, he's preaching, he's attracting quite a crowd. So much so at this point that He's had to come away from the shoreline into a boat and it's from this boat, uh, a little bit away from the edge of the shore, that he's, he's preaching to those on the side of the shore. Now, the fame of the ministry of Jesus, his teaching, his healing ministry, as well as that of his miracles, they're spread wide and far. And, and so here we have many people, just like you are here today, sitting or standing under his word. And as they're there under his word, he addresses them. He addresses them by way of this parable, this simple story, a, a story that everyone in the hearing could understand, a story that, everyone, that would go on to, to reveal a profound spiritual truth. A story that spoke right into the situation of each and every person on that shoreline. A story that speaks, doesn't matter how familiar we feel with the uh, parable of the sower and the seed, the parable of the soils. Perhaps you're sitting here today and you're saying, I know this story. Do we have to hear it again? Here in this story, friends, we see a picture of ourselves. And it's so important as we come around it today that we find ourselves and we listen to what God is saying. And so we come to scenario number one. As Jesus shares this parable, Mark chapter 4, verse 3. And what he says is, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And that's the wonderful thing about our Lord Jesus. He would use imagery that the people understand. He didn't try to bamboozle the people, but rather he used a picture that was known to them. And the picture of sowing seed was a a picture that was very much known to them. 
In fact, as they stood there, perhaps they could see those around them sowing seed. Perhaps they themselves earlier that day had been sowing seed. Jesus always came down to the language of the people. Did they always understand the spiritual meaning? No, they didn't. That's why he had to explain. But he would use nature. He would use the work of his creation to, to, to speak into a much deeper and more profound truth. And so he goes on, as he sowed, some fell, some seed fell along the path. Now this path that would have been a, a beaten path, a path that would have separated the, the strips of land that would have been cultivated on either side of the path. And because this path wasn't ploughed, it would be a hard path. Remember, there would be a depth of sun and heat that we simply don't know here. And as the sun shone on the path, it would have baked the path. So the path essentially was like cement. It would have been like a stone path. And so that's a picture we have here. This man sowing and some seed falls on this really hard path. But what does Jesus mean by this? Well, firstly, he makes clear that when he's talking about the seed, the seed is his word. The seed is the word of God. And this is a seed that is scattered. That's what's happening here today. That's what happens from this pulpit every Lord's Day. The seed is scattered. But the fact that the seed is scattered on the wayside, it's significant. It tells us something profound, verse 15. And these are the ones who along the path, when the word is sown, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that was sown in them. Remember at the beginning I asked for us to look for ourselves in each of these scenarios. This is scenario one. I want you to ask yourself the question, is this me? That no sooner has this word been preached, that before it even has a chance to take root in your heart and your soul, the devil, just like a vulture from the sky, he swoops down, he takes it away just in case you should be saved. Now let's all be honest here. We know this scenario. Whether we find ourselves in it at this point in our life or not, we all know this scenario. We know that no sooner have we heard the word of God, we've gone out that door, we've gone into our cars, and it's gone. We have no recollection of it. So that even if someone was to ask you tomorrow, what did the minister preach on yesterday? You'd be scratching your head. You'd have forgotten. It's not made any impact. It's not penetrated your heart. It's fallen on the, on the, the, the hard path. But at this point you might object and you might say, well, surely it's not my fault. Surely, if the word of God is sown onto uh, my heart and Satan snatches it away before it has a chance to, to take root in my heart, surely that's not my fault. Well, the reality is, this is the parable of the soils. It's not the parable of the seed or the sower, because the focus is really on the soil. And the wayside, it's so hard 
that the seed just cannot penetrate. It cannot penetrate. And what makes it hard, perhaps, for you today, for the word of God to penetrate your heart, is that you don't want it to. And that's hard to hear, that continually you are refusing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is, and I I speak the truth in love, friends, that when you leave this building, the word has been preached and you do absolutely nothing with it. And when you do, remember the, the Bible tells us that the gospel either softens or it hardens, depending on our response. And every time we reject the gospel, every time in our heart, by way of how we go out and live our lives and say, I will not have this man to reign over me, what happens is another layer of cement, if you like, goes over our heart. So that it's getting harder and harder and harder. You might have been sitting in this church for decades and still you haven't accepted Christ. And that's not his fault. But it's because we ourselves are having our heart hardened through our unbelief. That's solemn. But then we come to scenario two. Verse verse five. Other seed fell on rocky ground, but it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched since it had no root. It withered away. Now this is talking about the earth that has stones and rocks just below the surface, just out with the reach of the plough. And so yes, the seed does take root. There is a a measure of soil there in which it can take root, and it does take root. And as it takes root, it does appear to grow. There does appear to be shoots coming through the soil. But what happens as the roots try to go deeper? They hit a roadblock. They hit the hard stone. And as the roots try to to go deeper into the soil, they can't. They cannot penetrate. They cannot get the moisture they need. And because they cannot get the food they need, they wither and they die. What's this a picture of? Well, Jesus tells us in, in verse 17. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. What do we have here, friends? Well, what this is speaking about is a superficial profession of faith. That because the root of the matter isn't there, there is no growth. Because the root of the matter isn't there, that when the first difficulty comes in the life of somebody, they give up. And they give up because they're not in a personal, living relationship with Jesus. I wonder, are you in that relationship today? You see, maybe you're sitting here and you think that to be a Christian is just to turn up to the services. Even to come to the prayer meeting, to sit at the Lord's table. And I'm a Christian. I'm seen to be a Christian. Friends, we thank the Lord today that it's so much deeper than that. To be a Christian is to be a Christ one. To be in a relationship where you are walking and talking with Jesus each and every day of life. Yes, we falter and fail, that is true. But nonetheless, we could not live 
without him. Don't be deceived by what you see as religion. Dig deeper. Don't be content by what you see as Christianity. Find out for yourself. Because Christianity without Christ is nothing. And so what we see here are those perhaps who are maybe religious, dare I say it. They do all the right things, but they do not know Jesus. They are not rooted in Christ. They might have an appreciation of all the props of religion, but still they don't know what it is to have that seed penetrating their heart, that seed that brings forth lasting fruit, so that when the heat of the sun, when the strength of temptation comes, a difficult providence comes their way, because they're not rooted in the finished work, they wither away as quickly as they sprung up. And we see this throughout Scripture. We read in John 6 that after the Lord performed the feeding of the 5,000, many people who professed to be the disciples of the Lord, what did they do? They went back and walked with him no more. No more. They'd been with Jesus. They'd seen him perform the miracles, and yet they went back and walked with him no more. Why? Because they didn't know him. They didn't love him. They couldn't call him their father and their friend. Yet the faith of true believers, yes, we falter and fail, that is true, but nonetheless, by the grace of God and nothing else, that faith is able to withstand such trials. Yes, we're brought to the brink. Maybe you're a believer today and you feel like you're on the brink, just on the edge. You will, you will go no further. You will never go over that edge because the Lord promises that no one can pluck us from his hand. And instead, what we read in James 1, 2-4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces patience. It's easy to say that. And we don't say it lightly because the testing of our faith can be agonizing. It can be so painful. It can lead us to... To ask questions, am I really saved or not? But yet the reality is that if we're in Christ, when we're tried in the fire, we'll come forth. And this is glorious. What a, what a promise is ours today. When we're tried in the fire, we'll come forth as gold. Then we have scenario three, the thorny, thorny soul, soil. Verse seven. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Now, the soil might have looked okay. The sower went to sow the seed. It looked like soil, yet the reality was that lurking beneath the surface of the soil, there was something else that was growing, and something else that was growing fast. What was it? Well, it was weeds, those prickly thorns, those those uh, things that would be harmful to cultivated crops, growing faster and, and stronger than the seed that had been sown, so, so that these weeds, they, they completely choke any possibility of the growth of the seed that was sown. 
What is this a picture of? Well, verse 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. What we have here, friends, perhaps is a picture of you today, I don't know. I know I found myself in this position much of my unconverted life, hearing the word, listening to the word, perhaps even enjoying the word, thinking about the word as you're under it and saying, well, that's a good service. Even reading your Bible, even having a routine of morning and evening worship, good things, but still not the most important thing. Instead, the weeds of the things of this world are these things that appear, at least on the outward, to satisfy your soul. Remember the rich young ruler. He asked a question to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer, and Jesus looking to him, loved him. I love that. Loved him. He didn't scowl at him. He didn't rebuke him. He loved him. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. He's testing the man. He's testing the man to see how much he holds tightly to the things of this world. How important it is for him to, to, to really seek after, how, how much he really wants to seek after Jesus. His reaction, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Of course, this isn't saying that we mustn't enjoy the things of this world. We can turn this into a false humility and say that we have to sell everything and and live in a particular way, and that can turn into pride in itself. That's not what this is saying. But what this is saying is, what is at the forefront of your heart? What is the most important thing in your life? How would you be if all of these things were taken away from you and you still had Christ? Would you be satisfied with that? We often hear those words quoted from Mark. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I wonder, friend, today, what are you giving in exchange for your soul? The things of the world? You know, the acid test of this is how we respond under the word. I wonder if there are things, even just now, as I preach to you today, that are choking out the word. Where is your mind? Where is your mind? Are you planning the week ahead? Are you thinking about this, that, and the next thing as being really important things in your life that you need to deal with, you must deal with, and you'll deal with them as soon as you get out of here? What's, what is it that's dominating your heart? 
where your heart is, friend, there your treasure will be also. And if your heart is on the things of this world, that's going to be your treasure. That's what you're going to be looking to for your fulfillment. But what's going to happen? It's going to pass. It's going to fade. It's going to disappoint. So what Jesus is saying here, yes, you can enjoy the things of this world in their place. But why not enjoy them through the eyes of faith? Why not enjoy the creation by worshipping the creator? Why not come to know something of the fullness of who I am, the one who gives every good and perfect gift? And friends, that adds such a dynamic to our lives in this world. You know, there can be the perception that as Christians we are to go around with long faces, to act a certain way, to talk a certain way, even to dress a certain way. That's not what the Bible says. We can show the joy of the Lord as our strength through the eyes of faith, enjoying what he's given to us as long as it's not sinful because we enjoy the one who has given it to us. You see the dynamic there? How it changes everything? And so I wonder, friend, what is in your heart today? On this third day of March, What is it that's dominating your life and your thoughts? Yes, we have difficult things, perhaps ill health. Perhaps a diagnosis that we're struggling with, the Lord knows that. And of course, these things do crowd our minds. But where do we go with them? Do we shoulder them ourselves? Or do we come to him? Do we lay them at his door in the knowledge that he can give us the strength that we need? As the hymn writer said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. This has been quite challenging, friends, today. But all is not lost. Because then we finally have scenario four. The good ground. A ground that produces a vast and amazing crop. What do we read there in in verse 8? And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is what we're looking for. This is the good news. This is the gospel. What does it mean? Verse 20. But those who were sown on the good ground on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is a, a seed that's that's so deeply rooted in the ground, in the in the hearts of the hearers, that there are no obstructions, no restrictions, no distractions, so much so that this this seed has to grow up. It has to grow up and bear much fruit. I always say to my own congregation, excuse me, that we should have beside our door on the way out the fruit of the Spirit just to remind us as the Lord's people what it is to be a Christian. The fruit of the Spirit, what is it? Is this fruit in our life? Love, 
joy. This is a challenge. Peace. Yet we're always fighting with the Lord's people. Long-suffering. Kindness. Are we, are we kind to one another? Or is it so that our non-Christian neighbours are kinder to people than we are? Long-suffering. Do we have a short fuse? Or can we be long-suffering? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what should be showing, shown forth in our lives as we go around the ordinary every day, assault and light. Actions speak louder than words. That people see something in us that's so different. Something that speaks of the beauty of King Jesus. What a wonderful thing it is to have that fruit. A fruit that can only be authentic and genuine and real if we are rooted in Jesus Christ. We're not rooted in the church, we're rooted in Christ. And that's where that fruit will come from. When we're drawing with joy from the wells of salvation. Where we have that upon our lips and upon our heart. To do thy will I take delight. I'm here, I'm yours to serve you. To serve others. It's a challenge. I said at the beginning that the word of God is like a mirror. And in James 1 this thought is expanded upon. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. We've all been challenged today as those who find themselves maybe in the first three scenarios, maybe even as the Lord's people. We wonder where the fruit of the Spirit is in our life. But what the Lord is saying here today is when you're, uh, when you're aware of this lacking, go and do something about it. Don't see yourself in the, the word of God and say, well, that's me. It's terrible. I wish I wasn't like that. And then carry on your life as if you hadn't heard it. Go and do something about it. And as you see your reflection, friends, what do you see? Which heart is yours? Is it the wayside? Is it the rocky ground? Is it the thorny ground? Or is it a, the good ground? Are you going to merely be a hearer of the word, one who sees his reflection and does nothing? Or are you going to be a doer of the word, one who acts upon what God says, seeing yourself and taking action? You might be sitting here and thinking, well, what action can I take? I can't soften my own heart. It's impossible. That's the work of the Lord. That's the work of the Spirit. And so it is. That's true. 
But is it not true, friends, that we know someone today who can soften our heart? That's the beauty of it. We know someone today who can allow that seed to penetrate our soul. The divine gardener himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is an action you can take. Unconverted friend, why don't you just ask him? Why don't you just ask him what's stopping you? Ask him that his spirit would cultivate the soil of your soul to accept that seed of the gospel so that it can grow. Why don't you ask him? Why don't you plead with him even today to make your heart fertile ground? Why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him? Is it because you don't want to ask him? Is it because you're scared of what that might look like? James 1 makes clear that those who are not forgetful hearers will be blessed in what they do. Don't be scared. That's a lie from the devil who tells you that if you put your trust in Jesus, your life will be over. That all the freedom you've enjoyed will be snatched from you that you will live a life of pain and misery that's what the devil's telling you today i know i've been there whereas the reality is friend if the sun will set you free you will be free indeed those who seek this is the action those who seek will find those who ask will have it given unto them. Those who knock will have the door opened unto them. Maybe today is the day that you start taking action, that you hear the word, and that you allow it with the help of God to penetrate your heart so that you too will know something of the freedom and liberty and joy, because there is great joy not living only for the few short years in this world, but rather enjoying the few short years in this world in the light of that great eternity that's to come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're a God who doesn't leave us to ourselves, but rather you challenge us in love, in the knowledge that you seek for us to ask the deeper questions of life. Oh Lord, we pray that as your word has gone out today, that you would forgive anything said or done amiss, and that you would, O oh Lord, above all else, apply this word to the hearts of our dear, dear friends here today, especially those who are strangers to grace and to God, who know not their danger, who feel not their load, that you would convict convince and convert and show them the wonder of what it is to call you Father, Friend, Saviour and Lord. You are able, we know, by the power of your Spirit. And so we pray for a great work of your grace in the hearts of all who hear for the glory of your name. Be with us in our final item of praise. We give thanks for our dear brother who's led us this day for the gifts that you give to us, that we would all seek not to hide them under a lampstand, 
but to use them for the glory of your name. And it's in this name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, let's conclude our time of worship singing to God's praise Psalm 40. Psalm 40, reading at the beginning. I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. At length to me he did incline my voice and cry to hear. He took me from a fearful pit and from the miry clay, and on a rock he set my feet, establishing my way. We're going to sing verses 1 to 5 uh, to the praise of God, and after I've pronounced the benediction, if you could just allow me to make my way to the door so I can meet you on the way out. I waited for the Lord my God. I waited for Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>